The Library by Francis Rosenfeld Fourth Scene The next morning Gwen awoke to a sustained but orderly shuffling of boots, bags and paraphernalia and watched in bewilderment how the seven were quietly preparing for what looked like a military campaign. They looked serious and none of them was speaking, which rose Gwen's anxiety to panic levels. She didn't dare ask what they were doing. Number five spoke eventually. Are you coming? Where are you going? Fishing? In the middle of the desert, number five pointed to the creek in the valley. Its waters looked murky and ochre after the rain, enraged, powerless, against their banks, carrying dead sticks, straw and debris. What could possibly live in that? Catfish. I don't know how to fish. She hesitated. Suit yourself, number five replied as he walked to the door. Gwen wavered between her distaste for fishing and being loath to spend the entire day alone in the house. Fishing won, if for no other reason than she wanted to verify the truth of this unlikely venture with her own eyes. The waters looked even angrier up close and the thought of dipping her feet into their unseen and clearly insanitary depths made her gag. Are you just going to sit there, princess? Number seven stared uncomfortably. Don't worry, she'll join us soon enough. Just give it a couple of hours. The new heat will explain it to her, number five commented. I could just go back to the house, couldn't I? She thought. They all stared at her as if she had suddenly lost command of her reason, or whatever passed for it in her case that allowed her to function. Never mind, I'll wait. She dug in her heels and retreated to a boulder. Her position, perched on top of it above the creek, gave her a bird's eye view of the surreal scene. The numbers advanced slowly into the murky water, with the fishing spears above their heads. Nobody said a word, but now and then one or more of them shuddered visibly, like someone had suddenly thrown them onto a magic finger's bed. Are they high? She wondered, although they didn't seem to be, and surely their mood didn't point to that. The sun stung her, and beads of sweat started gathering on her forehead, drying up before they slid down her brow. She had this instinct, more primitive than an actual thought, but very clear in its message, that she was slowly being cooked alive. She got up from the boulder to go to the house, but she was so lightheaded the thought of engaging the hill to return to the house put her into a tailspin. I assume that means you're ready to join us, milady. Number five mentioned casually. That's your electrolyte balance. In case you're wondering, I strongly recommend a dip in this lovely creek to cool down. Just don't drink from it. It's gross. I was just about to treat myself. A snarky thought possessed her. I can assure you that is going to look very tempting in another half hour. Do you have any spare clothing you can wet and wrap around your head? No, you'll have to make do with one of the fishing nets then. Gwen looked at the nets. They were caked up with mud and fish slime, and the smell was overwhelming, even from afar. Look at me, number four stared her in the eyes, dead serious. If you don't cover your head, you will die. Too bad in her thirst for adventure and learning the mysteries of the desert she didn't think to bring a camera, 
because the sight of her with her pants rolled up to her knees and wet fishing nets wrapped around her head and shoulders was matched only by the discombobulated expression on her face. Come in, the water is great. They enticed, try not to make any sudden movements. She advanced slowly into the water, which felt rather innocuous, until her feet got tangled in what she could only describe as very angry guts and exaggerated peristaltic motion. Stand still, number eight put a finger in her face, as she was getting caught in the strange magic finger's shoddering motion. We've been waiting for these fish for two months. If you scare them away, I'm going to be rather cross with you. A sharp spear swished dangerously close to her leg, bouncing back with a dull sound. The disgusting gut churning around her legs stopped for a moment, then resumed. They are really taking a liking to her aren't they? Number one observed. Are you a very lucky person, my dear? Number four turned towards her. Standing there, her feet trapped by whatever god-awful bottom feeders were swarming in the mud, weighed down by dirty fishnets whose smell she was sure she'd never be able to get out of her hair and surrounded by seven men throwing spears in her general direction, she didn't feel all that lucky. Victory. Number seven pulled his spear out of the water with great effort. At its end, a giant eel squirmed vigorously, throwing him off balance. That's not a catfish. Gwen's composure, or whatever was left of it, yielded to the much older hard-wired fight-and-flight response and she ran out of the water, screaming and adding to the general hilarity. Eels are catfish, number four replied. You didn't mention I was going to stand in muddy water swarming with eels. They are not electric eels. Number four appeased her, and they are delicious. The monster on the riverbank finally stopped moving and the three numbers who had been fighting to contain it allowed themselves to drop in the mud, exhausted. Excellent. Number eight rejoiced. This will tide us over nicely until next time. That thing must weigh near a hundred pounds. How are they planning on carrying it to the house? She wondered. Here, number eight handed her a knife, while the others had already started chopping the giant snake-like creature into sections. Though, this is so unspeakably gross, she thought feeling guilty that the sight of the giant slaughtered creature didn't elicit sympathy but mostly disgust. We have no grocery stores around, number seven panted with effort. I'm sorry we can't offer you neatly packaged fillets. He stopped and turned towards her. I think it's time, and you're old enough to know that steelhead trout at the market didn't die peacefully in its bed. Now get chopping, or the sun is going to claim one of us soon. Heat stroke is not a joke. She went to her happy place and started chopping, with no other thought in her head than the repeated mantra, this is so gross. This is so gross. Trying and successfully to avoid getting splattered with guts juice and remembering all the reasons why she hated fishing, now amplified to God's scale. Every gross and revolting thing in creation made its way into her mind, by association, to remind her of its existence and because of this experience she felt dirty and flawed, like she'd been reduced to the state of an animal by their touch, like somebody revoked her humanity card. We are animals, Gwen, 
Number 8 pointed out, we just choose to conceal this impalatable biological truth with high-minded mores and philosophical musings, and quite a lot of hollow, nauseating crap. Between the latter and your guts, I'll pick your guts every time. Gwen was sure the scene must have looked apocalyptic for someone watching it from above, with the giant snake chopped into pieces on the muddy banks and savage humans fussing about, triumphant, covered in mud, blood and guts, discussing the logistics of transporting it up the hill in as few trips as possible. She suddenly realized she didn't feel hot or lightheaded, even after all the effort. You can take those things off your head now, number four prompted, pointing to the fishnets. The sun is reasonably forgiving at this hour. We really are trapped here, aren't we? She whispered quietly, almost to herself. It stood to reason no person in their right mind would choose to live like this if they had a choice. Being free is not something that's handed to you. Princess, number five said. It's something you are, something you carry within yourself like you're the repository of all human experience. You say trapped. I say you have worlds inside your head, and in those worlds you're always free. Walking up the hill, weighed down like present-day atlases by their bountiful catch of fish, the group engaged in small talk to allay the boredom. So, Gwen, number one inquired. What made you interested in studying literature? The question caught her completely unprepared. Even if she'd heard it a million times before, from all the good-natured adults who had taken an interest in her choice of college. It sounded so preposterous in the current context, she couldn't gather her thoughts to answer. She replied eventually. I guess I always liked words the way they can be reassembled in infinite ways to convey completely different meanings. There is music to sentences too, rhythm. Now that she'd said that out loud, it sounded idiotic, and the chunk of eel felt even heavier than before. Words are powerful tools imbued with their own magic, not to be taken lightly. Number six joined in the conversation. Putting a sentence together is both art and science like the craft of the alchemists of old. And then again, sometimes you stumble upon meaning and don't even know it. You mentioned music, rhythm. Number one continued, should we assume you're drawn to poetry? Gwen blushed. Her love of poetry was not something she felt comfortable discussing with strangers, while panting up a hill, exhausted and covered in fish entrails. A blood-cordling scream scared her half to death, don't step on the gravel. She avoided an unfortunate step at the last moment. Resentful she had to take the long way around the house with the smelly burden of raw fish on her back in order to avoid the serenity path laid out in impeccably white pebbles between her and the doorway.